Hey, welcome back to Practically Pastoring. Uh, we have a special episode. My name is Frank. I'm here with my buddy Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Hello. I am uh, glad you're here. Hey, we have a weird weekend ahead of us. I'm going on vacation. Weird you're because not. you're preaching? Uh, it's weird because I am yeah. preaching. Huh. This is the, the weird... Welcome um, to uh, Real Pastorhood, where you preach every week. <laughs> Man, well, listen, in uh, mega pastor world, mega church world, when you have a plethora of preaching, we, we believe in a plurality of preachers. I and, see. Uh, I preach like eight times a year. I believe and in so it. Big... I believe in it. I just don't have it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's. Uh, I think I uh, preach. Dude, I preach okay. about forty-eight times a year. Can I tell you what I'm preaching on? And I want you to tell me if you would be nervous about preaching this topic. Um, well, if I had to preach right next now. week too, maybe. But what's next week? Well, I'm just saying if I had to preach. Oh, yeah. if I had to preach both. <laughs> I seriously. All right. Here's the, here's the thing. Um, I'm preaching on the fruit of the spirit, not the fruits, not the fruits, the fruit of the spirit. Oh, good. So does that give you any anxiety because of our culture currently and your people saying that, Hey, you guys need to be demonstrating if you have the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Mm, No, I don't know. I tend to, I guess I, uh, you know, Timothy Keller and different people talk about having different kinds of like styles, what style preacher are you? And like some people are storytellers. Some people are, I tend to preach with a more like, I guess, prophetic style of like voicing. So I tend to be a little more aggressive in my preaching than I am in like just everyday conversation. So no, I mean, it wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be nervous about it, but I would also like, I mean, people need to hear that. Yeah. I, that's my point, and then, and like I guess I would say my style of preaching is probably like what you just said, like the more prophetic, more prophetic. Like um, you know, I my I, I literally have a part of my message where I'm going to say something like, you know, after George Floyd, seeing people have accused me and attacked me personally, but like also just seeing people just like being mean online, the idea of preaching about the fruit of the spirit without preaching it angry. <laughs> like for me, it's just like, I literally had to rewrite my sermon. Yeah. Yeah. You have to watch out for that. I don't want, yeah, I don't want to preach angry. Well, and I think and in, so, a, in a small church context too, like, because there's only 50 people that I ever really am thinking about when I'm preaching. It's like, you really have to be careful of not preaching to a specific conversation you had on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. And being like, yeah. you know, like, like passive aggressive and you're in the pulpit. Like you don't want to do oh, that. Oh yeah. So. I, I took some stuff out of my sermon because it might have been directly from a DM conversation. Right. But, uh, so, so, but like, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I went through sermon eval. So my sermon's been critiqued and what's coming on Sunday is going to be a, uh, a much healthier sermon than it was my my first draft. You have to practice this fruit of the spirit in the sermon, like in your delivery. You need to be kind in your delivery as well. I, exactly. I need to be gentle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I need to show self-control. And and long suffering. You know, I mean, one yeah. sermon doesn't change people's lives. It's it, dude, I, to use a baseball metaphor. It. You know, it's like you're not trying to hit a home run every time you preach. You just I mean, I played baseball and that's true. In baseball, there's a saying you can try too hard. You got to try easier. And a lot of times when you see guys slumping at the plate, what's happening is they're you know, they're gripping the bat tight. They're trying to hit a home run every time they're up to the plate. And coaches will tell you, hey, listen, just make contact. Try to get on base. Try to hit a single. Sometimes you're going to hit a home run, but you're just trying to hit a single. And I think preaching is trying to hit singles for the rest of my life every Sunday. 
you know, Dude. just get on base, move the guy over, and it's the long, long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson idea. Once in a while, I'm going to hit a home run, and hopefully, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hit singles and maybe some doubles pretty often, and that's just faithful preaching. I was. Dude, it's crazy. I just was having that thought after I preached my sermon. I was in sermon eval. My thing was like talking about how how I hope this message affects my people. And one thing that we were talking about was that like you know contextualization and discipleship is a longer conversation than a one side one one part message. Like yeah. a, a message is within the confines of a certain moment in time, but like the the effects that you're hoping a message does it only flourishes in this conference of discipleship. And so I was going to tweet this, but I wanted to think about whether or not I agree with this statement is that, um, that uh, actually I don't remember exactly the word I was going to say, but some to the extent of like sermons are good, but discipleship is more important to the, to the extent of like the, 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 the effect of discipleship has, is going to show way more fruit than a killer sermon. Does that make sense? But we, well, yeah, but a, we all put a, a lot of focus on right, the, sermons. the sermon. So to go to like to a parenting metaphor, I mean, the sermon is one form of discipline in the parenting arsenal. You know, I mean, and different times and different ages require different things. Like my daughter's five. So timeouts are part of our discipline, you know, structure. But like yeah. she doesn't learn everything she needs to learn by that particular by that particular when she's 15, form of timeouts are nothing. Right. Yeah. And when she's 15, she's going to need a different kind of I mean, it might still kind of be a timeout. It just might be called you're grounded and not a timeout. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I think different people, different levels of maturity have different moments of, and preaching is just one tool in the tool belt. I think anybody in youth ministry should know that because like, you mm. know, as much as we talk about not ever wanting to do all nighters again, uh, there are things that people that, ki- you know, certain kids get things out of camp and all nighters and those moment things that they don't get out of the weekly sermon and vice versa. So you can't put all the pastors, percent. don't put all the pressure on yourself to hit a home run every week. It's no, just it's just one first. of the things and COVID has taught us yeah. it's just one of the things you do. I honestly yesterday, I if people could see on video, I have the old school headphone uh attachment for the church landline because I made a phone I made phone calls to everybody in my membership list, which sits right here on my desk. Oh. And so you're like a, you were like a like a, I pulled like a receptionist yesterday. Yeah, I was. I, I was literally like sitting here with my headset on, calling people, and like I mean, it's it's meaningful to people. And you get to you get to ask them things that you don't get to ask them like right after a sermon on Sunday. You know, there's there's people that just come and they are like thank you and they leave right after, and you don't have as much engagement. Phone calls right now can help with that a lot. So yeah, so just good. try to hit singles every Man. week. I I didn't expect this conversation to be so so uh, deep for this bonus episode. Hey, but uh, we're practical here. We're we're so practical. So you're hey, preaching. Um, you're preaching so you, this week, and I'm preaching this week, which yeah. I preach every week. But you know because yeah, congrats. Oh, big <laughs> big way, whoop, way to flex on us, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do like the idea of having your uh, sermon evaluation like before Sunday, though. That's something that in a small church is harder to pull off. That I think mega churches have something to. Like that's a good thing that you have that we don't always have in smaller churches. I, I've never been in a church that's done this. Yeah, I'm, I know there's other churches that yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but 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 this is the first time I've ever been in a church that does it. And um, yeah, we do it on Thursdays, and and so we actually call it pre-record because um, 
I probably maybe I, I don't know if I even should say this, but like the the idea is if the pastor dies between Thursday and Sunday, we have the pre-record, mm-hmm. so that way we have a, a backup plan. That sounds really morbid, and we've never had that issue before. We only use the pre-record if like the stream doesn't work to another campus or yep. something. But effectively, the, the the bigger reason why we do pre-record is because of the sermon eval. So. I, I'm in an empty sanctuary with seven other pastors and staff members. And after I get off the stage and preach, I sit in a chair and they just tell me everything they liked and didn't like or what was unclear and what could be better. And, it, and it's, it's, um, if you're, if you're, if you, if you don't have a good sermon, you're going to hear it. You know what I'm saying? It's, but it's, I mean, it's, it's great. It's super, That's cool though. I'd rather hear it. On it's Thursday super edifying. It reminds, yeah, me of, good uh, is, um, it reminds me in Bible college of when we used to do, uh, I noticed, I wondered, I might and. Uh, yeah. in those worship classes. But yeah, I'm preaching this yeah, week out I, of uh, John chapter 8. We have been, I'm. this is week 34 in the series in the, in the Gospel of John, and we're just in chapter 8. So I'm moving pretty slow, verse by verse. Um, but we haven't done it all consecutively. So we've, you know, we did, I don't know, 10 weeks, and then I did another sermon series on something else, and then another 10 weeks, and then something else. And then I think I'm now... Like this is, I'm now a year of going back into John back and forth. So do you think, um, do you know when you'll be done with John or do you not think that way? Um, I kind of have an idea, but I'm just like the last two weeks, um, I decided to hit the same, uh, segment, the same pericope more than once. Yeah. Um, so 12 through 20 of John chapter eight have a lot of content and there's actually a lot of really cool stuff about the temple and some really cool, like old Testament stuff. So I took, and because we're meeting outside right now and I'm only preaching for about like 18 minutes, I took two weeks to cover John 12 through 20. First week was just, Do you feel more- first week was just basically John 12 and 20 to give context. And then last week was 13 to 19 with 12 and 20 as like, you know, the context for that and kind of explaining more of the details, but do you feel more like Jesus preaching outside in the yard? Um, yes. Until the motorcycles drive by. <laughs> Jesus didn't have motorcycles. Dude, so here's a funny <laughs> thing. Like, so my house is situated where there's like a sidewalk to the right side of where I'm standing when I'm doing this. So we're literally, we're a small church. And so like we're in the front yard of my house, which is a parsonage because yeah. Yeah. I went outside at 10 o'clock in the morning when we decided we were doing this to see where shade was. And that's where there's two big maple trees in my front yard. So there's enough room. So I bring, I feel like a church planter or some missionary or something. I bring a speaker out every week. Yeah. A little. So some lady was randomly walking down the sidewalk last week and like she stopped and listened for 10 or 15 minutes and then, oh. or sorry, for like five minutes. And then she left and I guess she lives right next door. Cause then she pulled up in her car in the church parking lot, which is like behind everybody listening to me preach. And she just rolled her window mm. down and listened to the rest of the sermon. So I was like, I mean, Hey, she heard the gospel. So, yeah, I mean, so I'm good with that. She heard me talking Dude. about Jesus is the light of the world. So modern times require modern solutions. I mean, there you go. COVID times. man. <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, so we have a, a, a different episode for you um, this weekend. Um, I'm going on vacation. Andrew's coming back from vacation. Delmar is somewhere in vacation. Tim, Tim is 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 playing single dad because his wife is out of town or something. And Jeff is just you know faithfully serving his just church, staying in the trenches, anything. y'all. <laughs> just feeding Holding the, the sheep. Fort down. 
<laughs> and so um so uh we didn't really have a situation where we could literally be able to all get together as well as um you know produce a great show but we do have a good thing for you uh delmar we've talked about this a couple of times on the show delmar recorded an interview with a a buddy of his uh sean guy i think his last name is pronounced yada that's probably terrible that's it's definitely it you know like that. <laughs> Listen, you gotta say you gotta say his last name like Old Testament city names or Old Testament names. You just say it quick and with confidence, and nobody knows. Exactly, that's, that's how I say all Hebrew that's words. What you do? Just mumble it. it. The microphone messed it up on me. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Um. So yeah, he. It's a great interview. Um. Delmar and him have some really really practical stuff, but also some really like heartfelt stuff that you should you should listen to. Um. But but yeah, I we just wanted to kind of quickly come up here. I guess we're, we we decided to talk about uh, what we're, we're preaching on and stuff like that. But what we want to encourage you is if you can like and subscribe, follow the the Instagram account, follow us on YouTube for the video. You can also join our Facebook. But also big announcement. Um, Big announcement. We have um, shirts that we are giving away. You can't see it, because I'm, but I'm wearing it right now, and it's super, super soft, and we have some good shirts that we are going to give away. We're going to start giving them away next episode, um, and it also ties with one of our, our very first sponsors, which we'll talk about next week. But um, but yeah, I'm really excited about these shirts, and I want to give you... We're giving away a ton of them, Jeff. We have like... I think we have like 20 shirts to give away. Nice. Um, hopefully everyone wears a medium because I'm just kidding. Have but, you seen <laughs> we have a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of shirts. Um, we have about 20 shirts to give away. And, and I think we're going to come up with some creative ways to give them away. So make sure right now you are uh, subscribed to the show. Make sure you've, you've read a review if you haven't done so. Uh, follow us on Instagram, and you are you, you'll be the first to know what we're going to do of how we're going to give away these shirts. But uh, but man, I'm super excited. So uh, so with that being said, I uh, hope you enjoy this episode, this interview with Delmar and Sean. Uh, Jeff, anything you want to say before we go? Uh, no, just make sure you like and subscribe so you can get that fresh tea because you look good in that shirt, man. Ah, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, wait till they wait till they see. Um, One day we got to tell we got to tell the story of how three of us that I know of used to print shirts. On yeah. This podcast. Yeah. That was, that might be a, maybe we should do an episode one where we just talk about side hustles. Yeah. And then we talk about the, the rise and fall of sacrament media. That was, uh, it's, it was a big rise. We sold shirts in London, man. Like that was, we, I mean, we, we had, we, we had international clients. I mean, I mean like it's pretty incredible. Global. And this was about, this was MySpace days. Like this wasn't even like, like um, dude, we used to figure out who who is going to be our top friends as a company. That was our big one it of was, our biggest concerns. Was, and then where are we getting Cuban sandwiches with the profits we made today? <laughs> That's all we had. <laughs> our profits bought us Cuban sandwiches. Yeah, and steak hey, and eggs. Thanks for. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a, that's a principle you made me learn. If you're going to eat breakfast and steak is on the menu, always get steak and eggs. And I kind of live by that truth still to this day. So, um, anyways, thank you for 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 listening. Enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Hey, this is Delmar Pete from Practically Pastoring, and I just want to welcome you to the Practical Conversation. That's where we talk one-on-one with pastors, and today I've driven about three hours upstate South Carolina to Traveler's Rest, which feels like coffee in CrossFit country, to talk to one of my good friends in ministry, senior pastor of Trailside Church, Sean Gatto. 
Hey, what's up? Hey, glad Sean. you're here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too, Sean. Um, you you were just telling me that I think you're a lot more important than you really are. I don't. Yeah, that's 100% <laughs> accurate. It's not even a think. It is a you think. Any any semblance of me being important, you've decided is. <laughs> it's just way more than accurate. See, I don't know about that, man, because we met at Charleston Southern. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just sharing with, with a guy who works with you. Hope that's an amazing story you can get into if you want to. Yep. But I was just sharing with him. He's like, how did you meet Sean? And I was like, I was in youth ministry classes. And uh, you were probably the most charismatic man in the room. And I'm going to be honest, Sean, I'm not necessarily always the most charismatic in the room. But I know that I need to be friends with him. And uh, and I think that's kind of what made me say, hey, I want to get to know this guy. Are you trying to get me to buy you dinner tonight? Is that what's happening here? Dude, I got, I'm getting you, buttered up. You got me lunch already. So, like, I'm going to go <laughs> I'm gonna go for broke here. No, but seriously, Sean, it's good. And then we met at CSU. Yeah. And then we kind of, um, we didn't talk for a while. And then we did. Yeah. And, um, and now we're sitting here today doing a podcast. Um, if you don't know Sean, he, he is up here at TR. Um, you want to tell him just kind of how you got here? and Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I was, uh, I was actually at North Greenville College at the time. Met my wife, and then I got kicked out. Um, kicked out of Christian school. Ended up at Charleston Southern. Enjoyed that like crazy. Uh, went right into ministry in Charleston. And I was at a small Baptist church there for um, 18 months because I wanted to stick with those good statistics of when how long youth pastors actually hang around. Um, and uh, ended up at another church for about three and a half years. And then we had our first son um, and really felt like we needed to get to where we could raise him um, in a place we wanted to and where he felt like was home. And uh, just knowing Charleston wasn't home for us, we moved back to Greenville and I was on staff at a mega church um, for a mega Presbyterian Church here in town, uh, downtown Greenville. And then I guess uh, three years ago or so, yeah, three years ago, um, I left staff to come plant Trailside Church in Traveler's Rest. We planted in a little CrossFit gym uh, for a few weeks and outgrew that, which is not as impressive as it sounds. Uh, And then we went to a middle school out in the middle of nowhere and couldn't wait to get out of there. And then um, just through kind of the Lord's goodness ended up in the old city hall building um, as our town is exploding, uh, they built a new one. And so, um, and the Lord's been kind, we're here and we are two and a half years in and, um, yeah, doing what we can, loving Jesus. Well, trying to anyways, you know, I was thinking about who do I want to be the first person we interview? I'm the first one. You're the first one for interview on practically oh, wow. pastor. Yeah. You're zero, zero one, if you will, in our catalog right now. I've never been number one in anything. This is <laughs> But, I mean, Set my wife's heart. Oh, well, yeah. okay, okay. So that's a good segue. So I really was thinking, like, who should we interview? And and I really was thinking, you know, Sean, you, I really would love to have you on because there's a couple things that really come to my mind when I think about you uh, as a pastor, as I've watched you from afar. And the first, and the first thing is how persistent you are. Like you, you're very persistent. I've seen things that would shut other pastors down. Is that is that code for annoying or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I know mean, I'm just yeah. kidding with you. Yeah, but yeah, you take the shots. Persist. Know? Oh yeah, that's part of the role here. But I, I'm pers- you're persistent, and then you're you're honest. Because um, I mean, actually, last time you and I were hanging out face to face, you were on my turf. I mm-hmm. wasn't on your turf, yep. and I told you, Sean, I need you to come uh, scream, scream at a few hundred teenagers for a few hours. Yeah, and you crushed it. I'm telling you. Uh, so your honesty, and then the last thing that really just got me was, I honestly, Sean, you're known for your wife. In a great man, way. she is something else, dude. 
She has something else. Like, if you can take what it means to bottle up grace and dispense yeah. it, that's your wife. Absolutely. Sean has a how, how many month old? Five. Well, six month old now. Six, so literally, you had you became a daddy again, mm-hmm. and then the world crashed and burned. Yeah, eight, five, and six months. So we had Gavin got to the hospital. COVID really kind of kicked up two weeks later. And so it was a new baby, uh, lead a small church plant. We have about 100 to 150 people who are here on a Sunday, which that means nothing. Numbers are nothing. Um, but uh, try to lead you know, a mainly volunteer staff in the church through that with the newborn and two other kids uh, who are doing schooling online. And that would a Man, teachers, you guys are incredible because what a mess that was. But uh, but yeah, we're here. One of the reasons we were doing the whole practically pastoring thing is, I wouldn't call it of an outpouring, but you were, you were on Download Youth Ministry with me, right? Was. Um, that's a, it's a great site. Still is a great, they're doing some good things. And one of the things we loved in there was how I can go in there and I need something practical or I just needed to share where I was if I had a bad day and I can just post it in there and it generally would go to a good place. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, like you, we went to the other world of senior pastor role or lead pastor, whatever you want to call it, campus pastor. Yeah, we're super cool here, so I'm a lead pastor. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a bona fide pastor now down here in South Carolina. <laughs> <Jeez>. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, but seriously, we um we moved into that space and that just group does it doesn't seem to exist in our space as much. Or at least I haven't found it. Yeah. Um it seems like everything online is geared toward uh, older churches trying to be cool, I guess, is a bad way, a terrible way of saying which, that. But. Which, I mean, that's fine. But there's not a whole lot of us talking about, hey, this is practically how life is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's up. Sometimes it's down. Yeah. And I think that sometimes I want to be able just to drop in a group and like, I don't want my theology to necessarily get in the way of us actually having conversation now, granted, we know there's close-handed and open-handed theology, some stuff we're not going to budge on, but there are certain things we can learn if we cut through that. And that's really why we're wanting to move into this space and have these kind of conversations. Yeah. Can I just drop something that's going to immediately cause a problem in that in that kind of clarity? Go ahead. Go ahead. So what I've, what I've learned in this COVID thing is uh, that theology is getting in the way of how we love people. Um, and that's not to say theology is bad or not important, but I, I know that... There are people who have already, they heard that and already built that defense. Theology is important. Yeah. I'm not getting away from that at all. Like, I, I think that's incredibly important. Um, and, you know, I know, like, you know me, but like I said, I'm not that important. So 99% of the people here outside of Frank Gill, what's up, Frank? Miss you, buddy. Um, have any idea who I am? But uh, I think what I've realized is that when people are hurting and scared and fearful, uh, we don't need uh, to help them understand what your epistemology is at the time. We need to find a way to point them toward Jesus and love them as Jesus loved them. And you can get in conversation like, well, that's where theology comes in. And I, I get that. But man, we, we spend so much time on podcasts and on groups and Facebook groups and all this nonsense. We want to yell and scream about our theology. And what's happening is the world around us is dying. And we're arguing about whether we should have communion or whether we should serve people or have open church or closed church or masks or not, or whether it's the mark of the beast. And we're, people are dying around us. And we are in our little huddles arguing about theology because that's comfortable to us yeah. instead of the uncomfortable nature of going out and caring for people and making disciples. And it, it drives me nuts. So, I think that's fair. I mean, so I mean, I guess the question, and, and we can yank this out of the podcast if you don't want to go there, but oh. do you want to you talk about how you just super felt that in ministry? Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm wide open. Oh, baby. God. oh, man, Sean, I like it. All right. 
Well, hey, yeah, I mean, because I know that that whole that's real with you. I think yeah. a lot of it's so easy for us to be like, yeah, it's theology and practice. But like when that reality hits you in the face, like it has hit you in the face, like it changes things. So, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, how how's it dealing when you when that hits you in the face? Man, um, I, I, it's a lot like there's a lot of backstory that, you know, it take too long to get into. But um it's funny that the things we used to make fun, like in our Charleston Southern classes, you know, in our Bible college classes, that we things we used to argue about, and make fun of, um, about how stupid they were, are now showing up in the new in a new generation of argument. Um, I remember, you know, we'd always talk about how churches would fall apart because people would argue about the color of the carpet, or you talk about worship wars. And what I've realized is <clears throat> that that is just as prevalent now as it ever was, um, because everything is so polarized, everything is so. Um, angry, I guess is an okay way to say that, that we are fighting wars over battles that don't need to be fought and it's driving people out of the church. And my concern and like what, what I want to be about, what I want our church to be about is a place where people who have gotten tired of those conversations, who have gotten tired of politics in church, who have gotten tired of nonsense uh, can be bought, brought back into the fold. Uh, because I think like there's a lot of people at our church who um, are at our church because we you know, don't get up and talk about politics and voting conservative. And they don't know where I stand or where I don't. But the reality is that's not something we need to be arguing about in church right now. Like the whether face masks are important does not need to be a, a political slash theological stance. Um, and so we've had people who, you know, would rather tear other churches down, other pastors down, other whatever groups of people down to feel good and to sound good. And like I said, meanwhile, while people are just dying spiritually and physically, but while they're just dying or driving generations out of the church. And we're thinking it's a, it's a problem that was 15 years ago that still exists. But what, what I'm seeing is that it's a mass exodus now, like a new exodus and a totally different group of people that are now also leaving the church. Yeah. And I mean, we're even seeing it really amongst even the young ministers, the guys who are really just coming out of school. And I think that's, when I called you the other day, man, you hit me with some news about even what happened with your own staff here. Mm-hmm. And let me get this right, because I, th- I think I heard this right. It was over the song, I'm going to see the victory. Yeah, Is that- see a victory. See a Elevation. Vi- see a yep. victory. You lost two staff members over that? Mm-hmm. Two, yeah. Con- I mean, Two with a, a kind of connected third, but really, yeah, two. Yep. I don't need- well, it's, it's, it's the same aspect of we would rather tear down pastors. And um, I, I don't know how deep we want to get into this, but like Stephen Furtick, you know, I, I know people love him, hate him. Um, and I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe I would have been in a camp where I would have wanted to have a valued opinion about that, of like yeah. why he said this wrong and he said this wrong. And I think I'm just over, like, if you, if you can give me a solid theology of this is who God is, this is what the Bible is, this is who Jesus is, and it fits. Um, I'm not going to discount you for something you might have said in a minute and a half clip online mm-hmm. that makes you look stupid. Because I, I've been at this, I've been in ministry, you know, 15 years, but I've said stupid stuff in the last two and a half years because I was unhealthy or because I was tired or because I just had a tongue twist. And if people would have taken a minute and a half clip out of that, they probably would have hung me to dry as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listen, I, I, I don't. I don't want to go be part of a team where I just see it infighting and where everyone's against each other. And the commonality 
that we see in churches now is like, well, if I tear that church over there down, it'll make me look better. Or it'll give me the opportunity to say like, hey, yeah, church sucks, but we suck less than they do. So come to our church. So it's all selfish. Yeah. Like it's, it's all building your own kingdom. And I think like, man, if we can, if we can put that aside and we can sing a song that is biblically accurate, that's theologically beautiful, and that brings people to a place where they have a moment with the Lord, like why in the world would we get mad and leave churches and get angry and leave churches about that? And I think what's going to happen is this young generation, um, this college age, seminary age guys, if they don't get off of their high horses, um, if they don't, if, if they don't desire humility as much as they do martyrdom, then what's going to happen is 10 years from now, they're either going to have to repent or they're going to be at home angry, reading the Bible for themselves because there's no church that is the way that they think they should be. And that's just not relationship. You know, like my wife loves me um, in the moments where I, you know, go paint the house on a weekend and in the moments where I leave my socks in the middle of the den, which drives her crazy that I just do for some reason. And I think we have to get to that level with church as well. Like if you're looking for the perfect church, it doesn't exist. And you have to stop being so angry um, and discounting each other so that you can sound really theological cute on Facebook. I'm just, I'm sick of that. And if you're, you know, listen to this and you're a young pastor and you're fighting me in that, then I would love for you to come and talk to some folks at my church who left church because they were so tired of that attitude and arrogance. And, and I'm just going to say this, um, it totally lacks the heart of Jesus, which totally lacks the heart of the gospel. Disclaimer, two guys sitting at a table, admittedly, we have been those people. Yeah, that's what I said 10 years ago, 15 years ago. That was me. Fun story. Sean got it. First time I'm hanging out with you. The, all right. I'm sure we hung out beforehand, but the first, I think I've told you this before. The first conversation I ever remember having with you was you telling me how you got kicked off Bob Jones's campus. I did. Yeah. <laughs> this is a recurring theme in my life. I'm realizing I yeah. did. I got kicked off of Bob Jones campus. Well, I mean, uh, well, I can't remember exactly what you were doing. What, what, what were you doing? Here, Man, this is, no one's ever going to, I'm going to be labeled all kinds of terrible things after this. Um, 10 years from now, when this is like the third biggest podcast and they go back, like, I'm going to start at the front. They're going to hear this and be like, oh my gosh. Oh, oh one. You know, yeah. if people ever go back, they're going to they're go to the first one. Here, here the, we are. The conversations. Anyways, you guys. Yeah. So I was um, at North Greenville as a student and I had a waffle, like, you know, the waffle sweaters everybody used to have. Yeah. I had one that said Abercrombie on the front. And I just wore it because it was comfortable. And I went into the library and they said, hey, you know, you have to leave. And I said, I'm not. Why? Like, and they said, well, your shirt. I said, you can either take the shirt off or you can leave. And so um, I got really angry. And I don't remember exactly what I said or did, but I remember telling them, I'm, if I do this, I'm taking off everything. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so that went really well. Bob Jones, I threatened nudity um, in the, what a, God, I was an idiot. Um, and uh, so the next the next day, some friends who I won't name, but some prominent pastors actually in America, um, and I went to Bob Jones and we soaped their fountain. Oh. And um, it wasn't good. It was, you know, like it was sinful. Like, don't do that. Don't see it. As, it's not glorifying. But that was my mentality then because I just I was angry. And uh, so, yeah. So when uh, you talk to the younger person, it, we're, we're kind of talking to me and you younger. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that in that same vein, then, because I do know I'm practically pastoring that there are younger pastors who are listening to this, um, some who may still be even in the Bible college era or even struggling through the call. Can you get what, what would you say a North Star is? Oh, man, huge. Uh, even if you don't feel like you are this way, because um, you might not be, but 
I'm just, yeah, just do this. Instead of when you get into a conversation with someone, instead of going, here's what I know, uh, you need to sit down look at them and say, help me understand what I don't. Mm. Um, because nobody cares what you just learned in your class and um, that you just learned how to do hermeneutics. Uh, no, one, no one cares that you can quote half of Romans 8. Uh, what, what makes a pastor a pastor instead of someone who just has Bible knowledge is that they can look at someone and know that they can learn something, uh, know that they can uh, observe something, and know that they can have relationship with someone. And so uh, if you go into a conversation and your, your throw is, hey, I'm going to flex and I'm going to you know, show them how knowledgeable I am. Uh, bro, the only, the only time I see that in Scripture are the Pharisees. I don't see that in the heart of Jesus at all. Um, I see that in, in, the, in the heart of the Pharisees. And we, we are... Uh, my goal would be to break us out of a Pharisee heart before it takes hold because it's going to damage the church. And I, and in saying you and I had to do that, I had to go back and I wrote um, four letters when I, when I moved into the lead pastor role. And one of them was to um, my pastor at my very first church in um, Hanahan, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I just told him I was sorry because although I didn't agree with a lot of what he did and I think he made bad decisions, you know, there's a lot of kids that come out of seminary and I was a kid, so I can say that. Um, seminary and Bible college, and we think, man, like if you would just turn the reins over, I could do better. You know, right. I would fix this, and I would fix that. And what I would tell you is, there's so much for you to learn because you don't, and it's impossible for you to know the weight yeah. of lead lead pastorship and of of ministry in general. Um, so instead of going and getting on Facebook and arguing with what you do know, man, like look at the person and ask them what you don't, mm-hmm. you know, ask them what you can learn because you'd be amazed at how disarming. Um, that can be for people who are angry and hurt and you can get to the core of what they're actually hurt on. They don't want to argue Bible with you. They just want to be heard and cared for. And I've had some incredible conversations by just looking to people and saying like, Hey, how can I help? Like what, what did you experience? And then speak to the experience instead. And, and, and that whole process. And I know everyone listening, like you're in there with us. That doesn't end like the process of us shaking out this I'm important. Mm. That's why we were talking on the front end about you being important. And the obvious thing is like, in light of Christ, like, who are we? You know? Um, in yeah. light of TR, who am I? I mean, genuinely, like. <laughs> yeah. and, and you need friends in your life who will just tell you that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when I said I'm here with you because you'll be honest. Because I can think of about five statements that truly wrecked my life. And Sean Gotti, one of your statements is is in that. I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people who Sean Gata has put that statement out. But, you know, mine was when I was interviewing to come to Alice Drive. Yep. And I was super not wanting to because I was living in Newberry, South Carolina. And it was nice. I had seven years there. There was not a whole nother. There was not another youth pastor in all of town. So, like, how do you screw up if you're the only one? Like, here's the deal. If you hate McDonald's, but you're in a town and the only fast food is McDonald's. You're eating double cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so here I am, you know, we got a student ministry going on and, uh, and I'm, I'm really struggling through a call. And I remember I rolled out all the stuff to you. I was in the library of Newberry in South Carolina. I rolled out everything to you. And as I was expecting you to be like, well, just pray about it. Cause that's what good preachers would say. <laughs> you know what you told me? I'm not a good preacher. You know what you told me? <laughs> I do. Yeah. What did you tell me? Uh, Newberry doesn't need you. Just setting that. Yeah. I mean, Newberry. It doesn't need me. And uh, so then I, w- I can't tell you how happy I was to oblige you to that same statement. 
It did come right back. When around. you called yeah. me and was like, "Hey, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of moving up to TR, but I'm in Greenville. Doesn't need you." Yeah. But I think, man, and, and the reason is the reason I tell you that statement. What you told me is so big to me. It's not really as much of it moved me from here to there. That's actually a statement that's just carried with me. Mm. Like I wake up every day knowing that you know God has a plan. I'm not gonna. I'm really not gonna mess up His plan. My job is to like get in sync with what he's doing, but the people around me, they, when they have God, they have his plan. They don't, they don't need me. It's a blessing to be used. Mm. And I think sometimes as pastors, man, I don't know about you, but it is easy for us to get into the, these people need me feeling. I mean, especially in COVID, right? Absolutely. Like with the anxiety, like we, we need you and, and you feel that, but then you get on the other side of it. I'm like, no. And, and so what we end up doing is we start like putting all our eggs in these baskets called people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, this is something I've learned in the last few months and, and maybe this is your experience. So I stepped out of student ministry and one of the things I've realized being on this side of it, and I do know that a lot of people who listen to this are guys who are in that place where they're they're, they're, they're stepping out of it, not as a stepping stone, but as a transition in life. I'm going to tell you what hit me very hard. And that is this, when you're a student pastor, there's a reason it's in like, was it the top five most rewarding jobs in America? Like statistically. Yeah. That's number two, I think. It's after, two. Uh, after being a doctor or something. Yeah. Saving people's physical lives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a, this is going to sound really selfish, but I was one for 15 years. It's a dopamine drip, man. Yeah. You have these teenagers who the most formidable years of their life, making the biggest decisions they can, and you're along for the ride, and you're a big, big buddy, Sean, who's like awesomest guy in town, and he's your friend, and man, he led me to Jesus, he's discipling me, and it's this constant dopamine drip, and as soon as they go to high school, it's okay, because I got new ones coming in, and like, I know that sounds super self-serving, but on a very real level, it's a dopamine drip, and then when you transition to pastoral ministry, that line is cut. Gone. Well, I think the reason is because, especially in student ministry, um, it's easy to have a misplacement of the value of your own identity mm. because, you know, whether you were cool in high school or not, just by being the youth pastor, typically, like, you're pretty cool all of a sudden. And so it, it's, a, it's a moment where we feel like, oh, I've arrived and, like, look how great I am. And it always come the crash and burn happens because our identity oh, is right. in like what we think we are portrayed by to people and our value in that. And here's the reality that that also carries into pastoral leadership because for the same reason everybody listens to Matt Chandler or Stephen Furtick or, or JD Greer or whoever um, because we're like, man, I want to be that influential. Mm-hmm. And like, here's the problem with that, man. Like, God hasn't called you to that. Like, that's not your ministry to have. Um, and it's not all the bells and roses and whistles that you think it is either. And so when we try to build these kingdoms up and our, find our identity in other people still instead of who Jesus says we are, like if Jesus says your identity is in being like for us, like a, a pastor of a small church in Traveler's Rest, then that is just as valuable as if you're Matt Chandler in Dallas, Texas. And it's just as valuable as if you're, you know, Joe whoever in Indonesia. It's just, that's the... That's the issue we have is that we don't desire Jesus. We desire platforms. Mm. And when you're in student ministry and like successful student ministry, which I think we both can you know say that we have been in, 
and the Lord's really blessed all those things is it's easy to see the platform and think like, well, because my platform is growing, that means I'm being successful in ministry, which means I'm a better Christian or a better leader or a better pastor. I mean, some of the greatest pastors I know have been volunteers I've had who all they do is like love and pray for and weep over the kids that they have the opportunity to be with because they find such value in those moments. And so I think the the deal with that, whether you're a, a Matt Chandler or a Sean or Delmar or Joe, whoever that's in Indonesia, like the reality of that is that's not the platform you've been given. So you don't need to desire that platform. And that shouldn't be what your goal is. Your goal as a leader and as a pastor is to love people well. And here's the other thing. Like we want those platforms though, but the reality is like if, if I just took over a church when I was 25, right? Like if, if the Lord was like, yes, you're going to lead this little Baptist church. I had, had had no preparation for that. Like if you go back and even, you know, read the old Testament, um, read the read any of the Bible. Like there's preparation that happens before God allows these big moments to happen. Like Peter messed up, dude. Peter messed up bad multiple times before he ever had the opportunity to go and and deliver the sermon at Pentecost. When you see these Old Testament prophets, go look at the story of Jonah. Jonah went to a place he did not want to go and had to preach a sermon he didn't want to preach to people he didn't love so that God would do what God wanted to do. And then was still mad about it at the end. So yeah, it sounds great for us to have 10,000 views on YouTube and to give these incredible sermons and people want to listen to us. Like that's good for our flesh. It's good for what we think we want to be. But the reality is we need to be not even good or comfortable. We need to be excited and enthralled with the place that God has us when he has us there. Because if, if we aren't, then we're going to burn out and fall out of ministry and we're going to blame God and everyone else instead of realizing that maybe we needed to look at ourselves and look across the table at somebody who's been in ministry for 45 years and go, hey, what do you see? Tell me what I can learn. I think that's a big thing, man. When I sit across pastors, and like I said, I'm a, you know, I'm a campus pastor, so I have a senior pastor. When I hear him talk, man, and he, he's got tenure over me like a couple decades, I'm still like, how does this guy know to ask these questions? Yeah. Like, how does he know? You ever sit around other pastors? And I think I think it's, it's really weird because you're a senior pastor and there's an expectation that you know it all. Mm-hmm. But right now, what I'm learning, even when I talk with my senior pastor, for the first time I can think of in my life, Every pastor from the mega church to me and you, we're all asking the same question. And that really is this, like, how do you even know if you're doing it well? Because let's be honest, we had all those traditional markers, right? Like how many butts are in your seats on Sunday, right? And then you have the tithe benchmark, which in some churches it hasn't, but then in some churches it has. But the only reason it has is because half the congregation lost their job. So does that mean that they're not really dug in? I, I don't know. Like the measurements we used to have, you know, community engagement, um, those are kind of out the window, so I guess I'm asking you a question that, that we're all working through and processing together. And I've been asking every pastor I know this question, trying to see if there's some common themes. But, you know, when it comes to pastoring, well, where do you even go to hang that hat right now? Man, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I think what I've seen when I talk to other pastors and even investigating my own heart is the success of a church in COVID time is when you are seeking the Holy Spirit and doing things that are different, uh, not to be different, but because that's what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do rather than copying what everyone else does. Mm. Uh, 
you know, the, I'm a big football fan, and so they say NFL is copy culture. You know, somebody gets successful, so every team tries to do what they do, and they're always two years behind. Um, we have to be a um, a force and a power for good in the world where it's not just simply, hey, I copied these six really good ideas and I made it happen at our church because church can't be a formula. Because because here's the reality, man, like the way that the Lord is, the Holy Spirit's going to call you to lead in Sumter with a major military background and going to cause me to lead, call me to lead in Traveler's Rest where it's, you know, kind of, it's all, people who've been here forever and then this huge population that's moving in and kind of granola is going to be different than someone in a major city, than someone in Florida, because like it, it's a different environment and you can't simply take what you see work in other cities and apply it to where you're at because that is nonsense and that is not actually following the spirit of the Lord into what he's called you to lead in because you're just leading the way that he's called someone else or six other people to lead. And so it's never going to be effective. Yeah, I mean, every pastor he's made for his own place. You know, like I will never lead man bun culture like you, Sean. <laughs> I just can't, man. Like, I just want to be clear. I don't have a man bun. No, Sean does not have a man bun. I would pay money to have any kind sure. of bun right now. Um, that's I'm wearing. You're a beautiful in other ways. You know, I, I, you know, growing up, I listened to Shane and Shane all the time. And Shane and Shane, if you ever hear this, man, your music rocked my world. So but I, I, you know, one day I saw Shane take his hat off, and I was like, oh, that's why he wears a hat. Shane Everett. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of messed up. And now I have assumed his posture with the hat and i totally get it it's like why would i why would i not wear a hat but um hey listen i'm going gray like especially on my sides here that looks cool though well that's because proverb says that gray hair is a crown of wisdom and splendor so that's kind of where i uh, i don't know what it says well you can go second kings with uh elijah going up with your bald head and cast down curses you know it's gonna be nice and polished so um all right really quick truth or dare true always truth oh you're gonna go truth okay you said on the front of the podcast, like, um, honesty is... Your honesty, policy. but, yeah. oh, man, but even the dare. Well, actually... Let's the, do both. The, well, the dare was going to make you lie, so I don't even know... Oh, okay. Okay, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's let's do both. Let's do the dare first, okay? okay. All right, the dare. Um, I want you... You're you're a huge Cleveland Browns fan, right? Huge. Like, on a scale from 1 to 10. Off 100. Like, like that? Okay. I want you to give me a solid pitch of why you should not be a Cleveland's Brown fan um like a genuine like salesman stop loving Cleveland's Brown so I can have an audio bite out of context (laughs) yeah uh, because it's hard to follow a team that for the last decade is statistically the worst team in the NFL um and that if it was any if it was English soccer or Premier League soccer we would have been relegated twice uh to lower leagues because the talent levels weren't there um, because outside of the last two years, we had two full calendar years where we went one and 31, um, including a full year of losing. Um, and statistically, it's an anomaly to be as bad as the Browns have been. Uh, there, there's more st- empirical statistical evidence that we should never have had two seasons like we had. Uh, because at some point, it's kind of the idea that like, you know, uh, enough enough loads of laundry have been in the dryer that statistically it should come out one day where all your clothes are folded just right. because of, you know, the, math. yeah, the math that, um, the Browns never should have been able to be as bad as they actually were. They were a statistical anomaly for the last 20 years. What? So what, what I'm actually hearing you say, they're terrible. 
Now they're not anymore, but but what I, they, they were terrible. You were saying, but if they were terrible, they were at least the best at being terrible. The best at being terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've so they came back in '99, and I've either been to or watched every single minute live. Like I, that one in thirty-one season, I went to three of those games. Yeah. Are you their bad luck charm? You know, I am going to be honest. I've thought about that. <laughs> you know, and it, you just just to, in all honesty, you know, sports is not my. How would you rate me a sports from zero from one to a hundred? Negative sixty. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's not that I hate sports. I just think there are lots of other things better. That's like, why you're a better pastor than me. Because like Sunday, knitting, you know, Sunday you're like, okay with just doing church if, all day. If I knit, I at least have a product at the end, right? Yeah. No, yeah. I hear you. No. Okay. And I'm, it's much cheaper. <laughs> it's true. much more cost effective. Um, well, see, all right. See, that's why I'm like truth or dare. Dares don't really hurt you because even your dares are like you don't mind being brutally honest. Um, okay, well then, here's your truth. Then, all right. All right? Um, what's the one phrase that you've uttered to yourself, or either to anybody else, or even in your head in the last year that you never thought you would have told yourself? As a pastor, man. Um, oh, that's that's gonna hurt a little bit, but it's necessary. Uh, that I not only misheard God, but that I put on a good enough charade that I convinced everyone I know to tell me that it was a good idea to be a lead pastor. That was that was a really hard moment. Um, what brought that? A lot of pain, <laughs> uh, not being successful in the church world. Uh, listen, Dell, I, I guess I'll just say this because um, there's I know a lot of guys who want to plant churches, and there's a romanticized call to planting churches. Uh, but where the rubber meets a road of if you are called and if you're doing the right thing, I had um, I had 13. So when we tithe, we get an email every time we tithe, right? It says thank you for participating with our church. Uh, last summer, out of 16 weeks, I had 13 emails that said, we can't process your tithe because there's not enough in your bank account to process. And uh, after you put everything you have into a church, um, give everything you have and sacrifice everything for a church, when you experience that over and over and over again, and my prayers were consistently, God, just shut it down. God, just like speak. Let me tell me, you know, give me something else to do. I didn't have anything else to do, and God wouldn't let me. Um, every time I tried to do something that would be a really good reason for quitting, like the Lord wouldn't allow me to, or something would come up, or uh, that's that's another whole story. Um, planning a church is incredibly challenging and incredibly hard, and it's going to take everything out of you. But it, but the Lord is so good, and that He builds it all back up, and. You know, for me, I, I was stubborn and I had to be stripped down to that point, I think. Um, I had to be stripped down to that point to where it was just studs so the Lord could build it back up the way he wanted to. Um, and that was that was a long couple months where it really tested, you know, hey, did I, did I mess up? And I would I'd go back and think like, you know, these people who I love and who I value, who I know walk closely with Jesus, who love me, but who love the Lord more. Um, you know, I, I remember thinking like, did they just miss here? Did I, did I present this in a way that I was hoping they would say yes to, or, you know, I, it was, it was tough. Um, and I, I know we talked last summer even, 
and this is a little bit behind the wizard's curtain, I guess, but I remember telling you, like, if something doesn't shift, I'm done forever with ministry. And you, and I remember you said, that's something I never thought I'd ever hear you say, like, that's shocking for me to hear. And I remember thinking like, why? That shouldn't be shocking. Like, this is my reality, you know? Um, and so, uh, it, it's really hard when you come to a point where you feel like you're ready to give up. And, uh, in that honest moment of really asking the Lord, like, and one of the most honest prayers I've ever prayed, uh, was, you know, am I, did I miss this? Like, am I, am I wasting people's money and their time? Like, am, am I going to shut this church down and then be another reason that so many people who come are all quitting and, um, and get mad at church. And so that was, uh, that was, I mean, everyone doubts ministry, right? Like everyone does. But I think I was at a point where, um, I was sure that not only I'd misheard God, but every single person in my life had as well, who told me this is the right thing, go do this thing. And, uh, I, I, I really believe it's because like there's a Lord as the Lord is building our church up. And as I think he's going to continue to be that if I didn't have that moment, I would have thought that maybe I did something to make this thing happen. Mm. And I think, I think that what I'm learning is and I'm not there yet, but what I'm learning is that I think that those months where my kids were young enough to not really understand what was happening, where my wife was a, is a woman of grace and could hold me up in ways that she'd never had to in our marriage, I think is because when this, when our church grows and takes off and whatever the Lord does, I need to have those moments to remember so that I can know it's never about me because I see so many pastors who are cocky and arrogant and think that, you know, they built this thing up. And I know that no matter what happens, if the Lord shuts Trailside down tomorrow, or if Trailside blows up and is a place where I can love other pastors who were like I was 10 years ago, when they're ready to give up, I can look and go, listen, like, let me tell you about what the Lord did. Um, it will be with the understanding that I didn't do any of this, you know, that like that, that this is like, he tore me down to these studs so that when this happened, when we saw this life change, when the church grew and when chains are being broken and when things were happening that were just blowing people's minds when eternity was filling up and it's happening at our church, it has nothing to do with who's on the front end talking. It has everything to do with us being willing to say when, when we were eating hot dog sandwiches, because that's all we had. Um, that it is acknowledgement that the Lord's goodness and grace is what got us here. And that that that's what carried us here. And that as he can build it up, he can tear it down and he doesn't need me, but he chooses to use me. He chooses to bless our family. He chooses to allow us to be a part of that. And, um, so I'm hoping that's why we experienced that. Um, but, uh, but I know what it's like to be on the, on the edge and to be ready to quit. And uh, I I don't want to be there ever again. I think that super real thing is, if we're going to be honest, man, that's super real for a lot of pastors like right now. Yeah. I look, I look at it like, what if last year for you wasn't last year, but what if that was this year? Like if you were in the middle of that plus COVID. There's a lot of churches that are. Yeah. There are churches that are shutting down because they have nothing left. Um, I mean, it, I, I think if you're listening to this, one thing I want you to know is that the world needs you. And, and that, listen, if it needs you and it's not in a pastoral place, that's okay. But it needs you. And I didn't know that last year. I was ready for it not to have me anymore. And so um, the world needs you. And you're not alone. And um, if you're at that place, reach out. You, 
I'm a, <laughs> almost cussed on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I got this bleep button right here. <laughs> That's, good. You... That's good. You know, you can you can email me. You can reach out to me, and I, you know, I'll be there with you and for you. Sean, man, thank you for the honesty. And I think yeah. for me, this is why we have to have these conversations. Mm. Because you are not the only one experiencing that. I think on some level we all are. But that's what Satan uses, right? Because yeah. that's what was in my head. Oh, yeah. I was the only one. Oh, you did. He did. Like I, I woke up this week and like it's a conversation. But I woke up this week and somebody goes, How how's it like being a campus pastor? And I said, Well, you know, I took us from one seventy to forty in six months. <laughs> You know, because because of just the environment and everything going on right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we need these podcasts, because right now what I've what I've seen in a lot of spaces is the really good pastors who we would put up and say, I want to be like that preacher. They have podcasts, too. And honestly, their podcasts are really good. Oh, yeah. Well produced. and everything. Well produced. And honestly, I listen to them. I've benefited from their ministry. Um, but if I'm going to be like exceptionally honest their podcasts generally aren't pastor podcasts. They are leadership podcasts. Yeah. And and I don't know why that is so attractional. I mean, I do. I get it. That's a tangible thing that someone outside the church world can also gravitate toward. But I think right now, like every leadership podcast I'm listening to, it's the same people saying we've not been through this. Here's five things you can try that we're trying. And I think we just have to be honest sometimes and say, listen, no, it's about us having a conversation that's going in the same direction. You know, so, I mean, when it comes to it, this isn't per se that leadership 15 different ways this is hey this is how we're experiencing this in our ministry yeah so hey young pastors i'm gonna i'm gonna share a piece of advice that i got from a uh 70 70 year old pastor um that wrecked me uh he said when you're talking about church leadership stop trying to find yourself at the front of the line and find yourself behind the rabbi mm. and I, I remember thinking like man i that i, I I remember thinking I wanted that opportunity to be the front end so people listen to me and they'd want to know what I was doing. But when I found that that's a heavy weight to bear and what I needed was to be behind the rabbi walking in his, in his dust and finding what he was leading me to do. And so the best place you can be for your church, the best place you can be for your family, the best place you can be for you is to have a time every single day where you are on your knees before your father. Um, because if not, you're trying to lead from the back and you'll never be able to do it effectively. And you'll think that leadership podcasts and sermons where it's four steps to a great marriage are going to be what, what helps and heals you. And what you need is you need to, you need to follow Jesus so that you can love your wife like, like he loved the church. You need to lead your church in a way that you're called to, in a way that Jesus sacrificed himself for it. You need to lead your kids um, in a way that they're looking for a father who who calls them into the throne room and, and shows them grace and mercy in their time of need. You need to be that. And you can only do that if you're following Jesus before you follow Matt Chandler or Stephen Furtick or either one of us. Um, and that's where we need to find ourselves first. Which is kind of antithesis to our culture right now. <laughs> I mean, everything about our culture is... Let's make big out of me, which is really weird because we actually have, we were talking about this earlier, this great divide in our culture where it's either all about the collective or it's all about the individual. And what I think I hear you saying is neither. It's about our posture behind the king. Yeah. Yep. If, if, if you build your platform, it's going to be real shaky. And when it falls down, it's going to fall down hard. 
and church is not built on a bunch of little worker ants coming up and sacrificing their bodies to make your hill big. A church is built on a pastor and a caretaker who will go with the little ants and the big ants and the queen ants and everyone else and walk alongside them and help them build what God has called them to build. Um, you are an equipper and a lover and a care for, a carer, care bearer, whatever it is, um, care bearer, uh, a, a, someone who's supposed to walk with the people you've been assigned, um, who cares for the flock. You're not the one who stands on top of them and says, look how great we are. Admittedly, though, I'm sitting across the table from somebody who, in my opinion, like Sean, like lots of people follow you. I mean, I'm not going to. I, I know. I see your heart. You must be seeing something different than Dude, I Okay. Okay. For those of you who are listening right now, I'm not even going to lie. I went to walk through downtown Greenville. We walk into this coffee shop. He's like, hey, what's the girl's name? I don't know. Just like, I don't know. And then we walk to another shop. Hey, see, that's the thing about you. You don't even feel it. And I think I can't help but see. And that's kind of a new thing that I've seen in you, even in the last year, is maybe it is some of that humbling that you received last year. That may, that's why you're not feeling it. Cause I think a lot of pastors who are listening right now, they're hearing everything we're saying about, listen, grow where you're planted. Don't try to be the mega church down the road. But a lot of us are also very much, I mean, we're going to call it what it is. It's a performance driven thing because go and make disciples in all nations. How do we, you know, it's, it's really tough striking that balance between growing where we're planting and also being like, but I'm also, called to grow you know that growing is such a fine line between performance and you know like not and actually just being obedient okay i kind of give you two things i would i think we all need to do better one we need to sacrifice our platform um get on your knees pray and ask god to help you stop loving the platform because that's that's a big key for us for me i think i had to i had to get to a point my platform wasn't that great um, and where there was nothing, just it was it was just studs. And the second thing is, if you want to know what makes a great pastor great, I, this is going to sound weird, but go read Bob Goff, go read Love Does, go read Everybody Always, um, because that is the heart of a pastor. Um, be willing to do stuff like put your cell phone in the back of a book that sells thirty million copies. You know, I, do crazy stuff like that, and be willing to love people where they are in ways that you never thought possible and then watch, watch the church grow and, and then go feel fulfilled. You know, like find a relationship with people because they matter because God says they matter, not because they can give something to you or offer you something or play a good guitar in your band or like go and, and just love people because they're making you coffee on a Tuesday morning and that's what they do and that they are there to serve others and that they're worthy of you looking at them and saying, hey, how are you? And meaning it. Like find, find hope in the homeless guy on the side of the road who wants a free coffee just as much as you would as a person who's going to come to your church and write a big check and, and treat them the same way because God says to. Not because culture says to. Not like Go and find people and love them simply because they matter to God. I think it's one thing. It's just like a, it's kind of like food, right? For people who struggle with eating, it's like you got to eat. It, but daggone it, I wish it didn't taste so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. being a preacher. You got to be on this platform. Man, I wish it didn't taste so good all the time. So but speaking yeah. of which, um, we're going to get out of here because I think we're about to go taste some good food or some we are. stuff. And knowing you, we are. there's probably going to be somebody there that you know. I would guarantee, guarantee it. We'll so, come back and circle around in the comment section later. <laughs> and it'll be a no, definitely not.
Well, it has been good talking. If you do have anything you do want to hit up with us more, please check us out in our Facebook group. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I, my heart is just pressing hard right now on this. So if you are a pastor and you're struggling and you need anything, even someone to listen to or whatever, uh, my phone number is 864-979-4802. And my email is sean at trailside.church because um, I want to be about what we say we're about. And so... Uh, If I don't answer, leave a message and I'll call you. I text. uh, You're not alone. And uh, man, we're in this together. No matter if you're a church of 10,000 or a church of 10. And uh, man, I'm here with you. So peace out.